Now you ready, Ma? I'm ready, Erin. Where are we going? This week, we're going to the desert of California. The desert? Oh, I don't like deserts. It's 1947 desert, Edwards Air Force Base. The Mojave Desert in California. This week, we are doing the right stuff. It tells the story of the brave pioneers who broke the sound barrier and eventually went into outer space. Men who would become the Mercury Seven. <laughs> you just did teacher voice. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Mrs. Bush. <laughs> hey. Well, let us have the particulars. All right. I'm not a teacher, so I'm not doing it in teacher voice. <laughs> Listen up, kids. The Right Stuff, 1983. It was released in limited release October 21st, 1983, and wide release on February 17th, 1984. It was directed by Philip Kaufman. He also directed the 1978 version of Invasion of the Body Snatchers, and he directed Quills, and then he also did the screenplay for this, and he also wrote and directed the outlaw Josie Wells. He did the story for Raiders in the Lost Ark. He wrote and directed The Unbearable Lightness of Being, and he wrote and directed Henry and June, and wrote and directed The Wanderers. Wow. It's based on the novel The Right Stuff by Tom Wolfe, well, he also, he recently died, and he was in the news, and he was one of the new journalists, and he was from Richmond, and he always wore a white suit. And he wrote The Electric Kool-Aid Acid Test, Bonfire of the Vanities, A Man in Full, and I Am Charlotte Simmons, to name a few. Hmm. And so he wrote this book about the Mercury 7. And it was produced by Erwin Winkler and Robert Chartoff. And they also produced, they shoot horses, don't they? All the Rocky movies. Creed, and that includes Rocky Balboa and Creed 1 and Creed 2. Raging Bull, Goodfellas, and The Wolf of Wall Street. They, they have done a lot of movies. That was just the highlights. Wow. Um, the music was by Bill Conti. He also did the music for Rocky. He did For Your Eyes Only. He did the music for North and South and Necessary Roughness. He created the theme song to Dynasty and Falcon Crest. He did the music for The Big Chill and Broadcast News. And he's the musical director of the Academy Awards television show. Yes, he is. The director of photography was Caleb Deschanel, father of actresses Emily and Zoe Deschanel. He also was the director of photography for Being There, The Natural, The Passion of the Christ, The Lion King. He has been nominated for the Academy Awards six times. He was also credited as additional photography in The Godfather, A Woman Under the Influence, Apocalypse Now, and Titanic. Mm. Edited by five people. We have Glenn Farr, who also edited 
Commando and Achille and the Bees and many more. These are just the highlights of their stuff. Louise Frotman, uh, Apocalypse Now, Heaven's Gate, Godfather 2, My Best Friend's Wedding, Stephen A. Rotter, The World According to Garp, Ishtar, Dirty Rotten Scoundrels, Enchanted, Douglas Stewart, The Great Northfield, Minnesota Raid, and four other uh, Philip Kaufman movies. He worked on them with him a bunch. Tom Rolfe, Taxi Driver, War Games, Heat, The Horse Whisperer. And now we get to the cast. I need to take some water break. Yeah. Or something. Oh, gin and tonic break. All right. Ah, Starring. Uh, These are in no particular order. Honestly, this is in Wikipedia's order for the most part. We have Fred Wood as Gus Grissom. Fred Ward. I said Fred Wood, didn't I? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's Fred War- Ward. Ward, W-A-R-D. Yeah. And the whole time I'm going, where do I know this guy from? I'm, I've seen him a bunch, but where do, where do I know him from? You uh-huh. know that, oh, he's that guy. So I was looking up, he served three in real life three years in the Air Force, and then the first thing that came up, I was like, that's right, Tremors. With Kevin Bacon. Oh. That movie was on a bunch in her house. And Escape from Alcatraz and Silkwood, to name a few. He's like a that guy. You're like, oh, yeah, yeah. that guy. Yeah. Uh, Dennis Quaid as Gordo Cooper. He was quite a, young, Dennis Quaid. Very young, with his original teeth. Yes. Uh, Inner Space, Great Balls of Fire, Postcards from the Edge, Wyatt Earp, Any Given Sunday. I mean, he's Dennis Quaid, people. Ed Harris played John Glenn. A young Ed Harris. Same hairline. The Truman Show, Apollo 13, Pollock, The Abyss, Glengarry, Glenn Ross, History of Violence, and the upcoming Top Gun Maverick. I mean, he's Ed Harris, people. Yeah. Scott Glenn as Alan Shepard. He's a that. I was like, where do I know this guy from? Like, you know him from everything, Aaron. Everything, he's been in exactly. Everything. Urban Cowboy, Silverado, Hunt for Red October, Silence of the Lambs, Backdraft, Training Day. Like these guys have been in so many movies. Sam Shepard. I did enjoy Sam Shepard's original teeth. Yeah, there was. They're messed up, but yet charming. I've they never, were. I've never seen such jacked up teeth that were like cute. <laughs> Haven't you? Really? That one tooth in his mouth that kind of stuck out? It wasn't like that tooth, Ma. (laughs) I mean, that is like, yeah, best believe the next time I'm going to the dentist, I'm inquiring about the Invisalign. (laughs) I'm, this is, look, this is what happens. It happens slowly and it'll just, he didn't realize that it was like that. That, that's Mine a, were straight. Mine exactly. Were straight for a period of time. It's just it's all about constant pressure and everything is in that's what this movie is about. Constant motion, the earth moving, science and whatnot, and physics. So I I know how physics work. I gotta get these things preemptive yes, maintenance. Yes, you do. <laughs> oh, I was like, I I looked up to the sky, I was like, I get it, universe. I get it. <laughs> But again, charming. Yes. Sam Chuck Yeager, 
So he's in Francis, Steel Magnolias, The Pelican Brief, The Notebook, Black Hawk Down. He was also a crazy award-winning playwright. He wrote tons of plays uh, like Kicking a Dead Horse, Simpatico, and True West. And we have... Sam Effing Shepard. Yeah. And then we have Lance Hendrickson as Wally Shearer. He was an alien. He's Bishop from Alien. Boom, right in this movie. The Millennium TV show, Dog Day Afternoon, Network, The Terminator. Yeah. Barbara Hershey. I, w- I didn't even know that that was Barbara Hershey until I looked it up. Because I was like, why is this woman showing up everywhere just out of the blue? Mm-hmm. She always just walked out of the blue in this movie. Yeah. Just appeared. Is. And I'm like, this woman has to be someone. Because she's walking in like she's someone. It was before Jonathan Livingston Seagull. What? Move on. It, it makes sense to a few listeners. Is Move that on. the weird name she went by? It's, I didn't fully understand that whole thing, but it's like she became a seagull or something. Oh, because Wikipedia cuts. Wikipedia just says in her bio something like, she was seeing one of the Carradine brothers, and then yes. she was going. She decided she was going to change her stage name, but everybody made fun of her and ridiculed her, and no one hired her. And so then she decided, like, to change her name back to Hershey. It didn't yeah. go into what she changed it to. I there I there was something with Jonathan Livingston Siegel. I never fully understood. I was absorbed in myself at the time. Wow. Wow. So that's Barbara Hershey. That's Barbara Hershey. Well, she played young Barbara Hershey. She played Glennis Yeager. She was also in The Last Temptation of Christ, Hannah and Her Sisters, Beaches, and Black Swan. And we have mm-hmm. Jane Dor- Dornecker. She was Nurse March. I put this in because I ended up going down a rabbit hole with this lady. Um, <laughs> I saw, so it, I thought that it was interesting that you could click, you know, in Wikipedia, how it'll have blue in the hyperlink, and so you could click on it. Mm-hmm. So I was like, Nurse March, because I remember the character, you know, in the movie, and so I clicked on her, and it said that she was a a rock musician, stand-up comedian, and traffic reporter. And I was like, what the hell? And so then I started reading the first paragraph and I was like, what? Wow. So she it's she's in here because of her death, because I was like, what? She was in two helicopter crashes in 1986 and one she didn't survive. Oh, okay. Okay. So well, not, that wasn't funny. I don't know why. I, I, don't, why I, I didn't either. <laughs> <laughs> it was a little sick. I apologize. But you know what? I did the same thing. That's why I wrote it down because I was like, what? I mean, a rock musician, a stand up comedian, and then you become a, a helicopter traffic reporter. You survive a helicopter crash only to like get back in it and do it again. Look, the hel- <laughs> it's not funny, but it's not. <laughs> the helicopter crash. 
crashed was in April 1986. And then she gets back up on the horse. And October 1986 is when the the chapter crashes again. Ma. situation of us discussing it yeah so yeah that was just horrible and that's why she got written down in the particulars because i was like what well well done see she got her she got her um some um attention yeah and good on you great performance Uh, we also have harry sheer and Jeff Goldblum, they were, uh, they were like NASA people. They didn't have names. You know Harry Shear because he was—he's on The Simpsons. He's the voice of Mr. Burns, Smithers, Ned Flanders, Principal Skinner. He was also in The Truman Show and A Mighty Wind. And you have Jeff Goldblum. I mean, The Fly, Jurassic Park, Independence Day, The Big Chill, Apartments.com. <laughs> yeah. And they were the comic relief. I like them. I enjoyed them. We have Kim Stanley as Pancho Barnes, who is a real person. She Mm -hmm. broke uh, Amelia Earhart's fastest speed record. And then she started the first movie stunt flying men's thing, Union. Um, Then she went out there and really ran that place. Mm -hmm. She... Um, originally I read that she wanted it to be like a sort of a, a stopover for pilots. Ah. It's a place where they could stop. They could have a decent meal, spend the night, get back up in their plane and go. Mm. Yep. And she's played by Kim Stanley, who was the narrator in To Kill a Mockingbird. Mm. I was like, wow, it all comes around. Pamela Reed. I was like, I know that lady. She's been in everything. She was Trudy Cooper, kindergarten cop, junior. Uh Why do fools uh fall in love? You know her face. You'll just see her and be like, oh, man. She's, yeah, she's been in everything. TV. She's in so much TV. Uh, Mary Jo Deschanel, the wife and mother of Emily and Zoe Deschanel and Caleb Deschanel, the director of photography. She played Annie Glenn. She was also in Twin Peaks Firewalk with me, The Patriot, and Ruby Sparks. Kathy Baker. This was her first performance, I think, on film. Really? Because I know her as P. 
picket fences. Mm-hmm. But again, she's been in everything. Edward yep. Scissorhands, Cold Mountain, The Cider House Rules. I'm telling you, everything. Mm-hmm. Um, we have Levon Helm. I was like, Levon Helm? Like, that's funny because the drummer in the band is named Levon Helm. It was him. Same guy. He was Jack Ridley. He also was the voiceover at the beginning and the end of the film. Mm. You know, the band, I went through a significant the band phase. So I am familiar with the wait up on Cripple Creek the night they drove old Dixie down. Dang. Okay. I saw the last waltz. Mavis Staples doing the wait. I was in. They sold me. And finally, as Gonzalez, the in the movie, the um, what are they called in the the orderly? Yes. Do you know who that was? He was a, a Cincinnati Bengal. Anthony Munoz. Yeah. Yeah. Offensive tackle for the Cincinnati Bengals for 13 years in 1998 was elected into the NFL Hall of Fame. Wow. Well done. I was like, oh, that's so cool. Wow. There are the particulars. Oh, I know you're exhausted. Oh, I'm going to go take a nap. Well, as stated, it is 1947, and we have a plane flying through clouds, and we find out that they are trying to break the sound barrier. So we have a lot of test pilots. We see a lot of planes explode. explode. Yeah. Test pilot was a rough career choice. Definitely. Um, we see a minister going to notify a wife and a funeral and the missing man formation with the flyover. Then we see, I said dude riding a horse in the desert, but the dude was Chuck, Chuck Yeager. Yeager, who I actually met. You met Chuck Yeager? Yep. In real life. Uh huh. Did you shake his hand? Yeah. Uh-huh. He came to the elementary school. He came to your elementary school? Yeah, there was um, there was somebody there who had some connection to him, and yeah, it was early when when in the early nineties. But yeah, came by. Wait, he came by in the nineties, not in like the fifties. No, this is this is when I because he was still involved with um. Okay, I thought that he, that Chuck Yeager, when you were in school, came, so he was like, like, he had basically just broken the sound barrier, and then he came to Blue Ash Elementary School. No, 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 I thought I said Hayfield, but yeah. You might have, and I just went back and was Yeah, I met, I met, you know, retired Chuck Yeager. Oh, that's still impressive. But in the film, he is young dude, Chuck Yeager, and he sees a test plane and he rides his horse and they go into the aforementioned bar. Um, and people are talking to this dude named Slick, saying that he's the only person who can beat the sound barrier. And so Slick goes, okay, well, um, you know, I just got one stipulation, $150,000. And... Um, he walks away and then they're looking around the bar and they go, Hey, there's a dude. His name is Jaeger. And, um, 
so they say, you want to go for it? And he, uh, how much are you going to charge? And he said, the Air Force is paying me already, so I'll see you tomorrow. And the Air Force at that time was paying him $283 a month. Wow. But he didn't care about the money. He wanted to break the sound barrier. Yeah, they thought competitive. That, that, they, that their bodies would turn to mush or something. Well, that's what they were. That's what Levon Helm tells us at the beginning is about how there was a demon in the sky, and once they got to a certain speed, that they they would lose control, and you know, a lot of weird stuff happens once you get away from the Earth, mm-hmm. and you're going really fast because mm-hmm. there's you know that's what that's what space is crazy, guys. Yeah, and it was a total unknown. They had no idea. Nobody had ever gone that fast. Right. You're gonna go fast. So What's gonna happen when you get beyond the barrier? I mean, yeah. these are these are what explorers do. People said, "What will happen when you get to the edge of the Earth?" Nothing. The Earth is round. But they didn't know. They didn't the know, so they had to go see. What's gonna happen when you break the sound barrier? Are you gonna turn to mush? No, but we have to see. Well, then this young girl comes in right away. I said, no, that's Barbara Hershey. See, I and didn't know what Barbara Hershey... Sh- I should have known because I saw Beaches a long time ago. I yeah. should have been... I just knew that she was someone because the way the camera went on to her and how she yeah. just showed up. I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah, she just shows up a lot. Just shows up. That's all <laughs> I mean. She's a sidler. So... um she and Chuck Yeager have this uh, banter going on, blah, blah, blah. Um, and a guy is making eyes at her. And then she leaves saying that Yeager can't catch her on her horse. And and he leaves. And the guy at the bar, the bartender goes, eh, you know, don't even think about it. They're married. So anyway. And he was like, so? <laughs> What's yeah. that got to do with me? So they, she's, they're chasing each other because evidently they have this thing. And he falls off his horse and he really hurts his side. But the next morning, he's got to be at the air station ready to break the sound barrier. And he does. I mean, he goes. And I watched this scene during the week with a heating pad on my ear, almost in tears, because my ear hurt. <laughs> and I'm watching, I'm like, you know what? Fuck you, Chuck Yeager. Oh, I could break the sound barrier with my ribs busted. Okay. My ear hurts. So, um, so they had a plane under a plane. So they take off with the regular plane, and then when they get to the right altitude, they drop the... Was like Other, a, I think it was a jet, maybe, technically. Yeah, right. And and then that's the one that's going to try to break the sound barrier because it has a rocket engine in it. So I stops and I talks to Poppy. Ah. My, um, as close as I get to an aeronautical. Um, Can I take a guess? Go ahead. Did he say it was because it would be lighter? Because it wouldn't have all the landing gear on it. They wanted it to be as light as possible so it could go fast. Oh, that's not what I asked. But oh. um, but that I'm sure that has a lot <laughs> to do with it. We'll never know. We won't. I didn't ask that. But, um, <laughs> and so Poppy said, yeah, they would either blow up or go real fast. Yeah. And that's what they were dealing with was, was the 
the rocket engine, was it too much for the plane and would it blow up or would it make it go real fast? And, and a lot of times it made it go real fast and then they couldn't control it because of the G-forces and such. Yeah, and then something happens when you get to a certain altitude or something that you can very easily go into like some sort of death spin. Because that's mm-hmm. how, on if you have HBO, the movie First Man is on there about Neil Armstrong. And he was a pilot. And the beginning of that movie is super intense. And it's about that. He's doing those test missions. And the plane will start, like, turning, spinning. And you don't know where the horizon is. You can't you can't. Yeah, and out. you're and you're going at such G forces that you you pass out because all the blood is going outward in your yeah. body, and so you pass out and you can't do what you need to do to get out of it. Yeah, that was great. That's test pilots. That's what Poppy always says. They say there's bold pilots and there's old pilots. There aren't any old and bold pilots. Right. Okay, well, so he's up in this plane. He They had to jerry-rig away for him to shut. Is jerry-rig a, um, I mean, I a think slur? I think you say it, but I think if we look into it, we're, it's going to make our tummies hurt. Probably. It's either got something to do with blacks or Germans. Right. So I that checks off Germans both with boxes. The jerry, but but uh, yeah, as soon as I said it, I went, that has to be a slur so i apologize um they fixed a way for him to be able to close the door um on the side where his broken ribs were anyway so it was interesting anyway he's up in the air and they can't see him anymore but they hear a loud bang and everybody is you know right in his obituary going well you know that's too bad and then he comes back he did it he broke the sound barrier and there was a, a press dude there, and he wanted, of course, to announce it to the world. It would be such a, you know, such a morale builder. But none of the military people wanted it released yet, that the sound barrier had been broken. Okay, so <clears throat> now we're at Edwards Air Force Base, 1953. We see a very young Dennis Quaid with his family. We meet Gordo Cooper, whose nickname is Hot Dog. And they are all actually at another funeral with another missing man flying formation. And then, of course, they all go to the bar. Well, the families go home. And then the um, pilots all go to a bar, and we meet Gus Grissom. And we see the wives commiserating. So I guess the wives would kind of get together and take care of the children, and I don't know. Well, yeah, they but also they (laughs) were... They were the only ones who also knew what the other ones were going through. Right. So they could be like, yeah, oh my gosh, this shit is a very stressful. And it was, and there's that scene later on, I'm sure it's after the hour marker, where the women are together and they're like, yeah, the, you know, the military pays for these guys and they, they make them into these fearless jet fighter pilots and spend all this money getting their minds prepared but they don't spend any money getting our minds prepared on how we deal with this. And I was yep. like, oh, that was a that was a very interesting point. Yeah, and and very true. Yeah, and, and how she was of- always, like, they're always talking to her about the insurance and stuff. 
Because, yeah, those guys did dangerous work. Yeah. One of the wives says to another, you marry a fighter jock, you marry the military. Yeah, and then one of the wives gets on this whole thing about what, like, how much the military owes her. And I was like, look, sis, once you get in line, <laughs> your husband's still alive. So yeah, <laughs> why exactly. don't you, you know, he's, he's doing this test pilot and very lucrative stuff. And there's so many people who, you know, they're over in Vietnam. So, uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I was just like, he, you are barking up the wrong tree, little miss. And then I felt real bad because then I found out what happened to Gus Grissom. And I was like, oh, oh no. well, I guess you, well, good thing you're already in the line, right? <laughs> yeah, you have 40 people behind you now. Yeah, so ha ha. <clears throat> okay, so then we meet Scott Crossfield, who um, went faster than Jaeger went. Oh, and that was, that was a slow burn in old Jaeger's belly. Yeah, it's hard. Jaeger has to be the best at everything. So guess what? They're back in the bar. They go in that bar a lot. Mm -hmm. um, and the press dude is telling everybody, whoever gets the funding for the planes are going to get to see the better stuff. You know, the you got to have the money to pay for better stuff, and you want a better plane to be able to go faster than even breaking the sound barrier yeah it's all about funding and, and stuff because these guys are test pilots and i think he was trying to give them a heads up of like yeah you guys yeah. are trying to to break the sound barrier and stuff but that's nice but the real game is we got to get to the moon yeah <clears throat> and their thing was uh, jaeger and crossfield and those guys their thing was jets uh, you know, we got to get jets so that we can be faster than um, for the military. So we can be faster than our enemies. Always got to stay a step ahead of our enemies. And at one point, somebody said, well, a step ahead of who? And somebody said, the Russians. The guy goes, uh, they're our allies. Uh, well, not at, not at the end of the war. They, yeah, they were it was allies. 1947. <laughs> it was like, yeah, I mean... Sometimes two enemies have to get together because they're like, well, this Hitler motherfucker. I mean, am I right? <laughs> and the U.S. Anybody? and Russia were like, yeah, you're right. I, all right, let's go. You take that side. I'll take this side. Yeah. <clears throat> well, now, so uh, Crossfield is the fastest man alive. So now Jaeger wants to wants to go to Mach 2.1. Now I'm like, what are we getting the Gillette Mach 3? <clears throat> okay. So he, uh, bring it on in. He's uh, pushing farther. He passes out. Uh, he's in free fall. And somebody's yelling Mayday at the, uh, what seems like the last minute. He gets control because... He's down far enough in the atmosphere that his blood can flow right again, I guess. Well, I mean, really, he gets control because he's Chuck motherfucking Jaeger. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, they say that's as fast as a man can go. I mean, you know, we've that's that's as, as good as it's going to get, which is not true. Just mm -hmm. wait. Come on, think bigger. So now it's 1957. And Russia has put this thing called the Sputnik 
in space. Oh my gosh. And they're going, are their Germans better than our Germans? Because the German um, aerospace people, you know, were taken by the Russians and the Americans. Well, yeah, like like um, Berlin, they were divided up. Yeah. You take these, I'll take these. And, but somebody's saying, no, that we got the best Germans. <laughs> okay. Um, but they're saying whoever controls the high level of space controls the world. Yeah, because oh. you could you could just easily go up this like they were automatically thinking of it not as we can learn more about how where we came from in the world in physics they're like we can get up into space and drop bombs exactly exactly and the higher up we are we can drop bombs on all those we lower can people. drop so many bombs yeah. okay so they're just Americans are just going they have to put something in space. Because, I mean, the Russians have put this thing up. They, they got to do something. And These so they're going, communists over here are not better than us. Right. And our Germans. And so they go, well, let's do a chimp. Let's put a monkey up in space. And they actually did put a monkey up in space. Um, I so have then, a question, though. And it's a okay. very uncomfortable question. Okay. <sighs> okay. I'm not spoiling or telling any secrets and saying that America is a racist country. No. Like, they're pretty racist. They had slaves and stuff. This country's built on the back of slaves. It's a racist country. 1950s, very racist. Uh, every, uh, there are a lot of people thinking who think that black people are not even people. So... I'm glad that they didn't do this, but I was just wondering how come they weren't like, we'll just send a black person up in space. Well, I, I can't. Because I'm that. like, is that, was that like too racist? Did somebody bring it up? And they were like, what? No, we're, that is, no, we are better than that. Or, was it even more racist because they were like, no, they can't even do that. And that's why they didn't do it. It's I am I am going to leave you hanging out on that limb. It's just one of those questions of how racist is America? Yeah. <laughs> how bad can it get? Yeah. And am I, should I be mad that it was a monkey in space or should I be relieved? I, yeah. There well, you go. Your little mind has to deal with that as it will. <laughs> I, I will be weighing those options for the rest of my life. <laughs> because then Jeff Goldblum is going, okay, so we need people to go into space. And this this, this is the, the dynamics, the, the, not dynamics, the, um, where we're looking for people. Yeah, this is their their talent pool. Demographics. Yeah, their these, demographics. These are their okay. demographics. The, they these two minds, Harry Shear and Jeff Goldblum, have combined, and they're saying these are our top candidates. So we need people who are really good with balance, because up in space, you know, things are pretty wiggly jiggly. So let's look at surfers. Yeah. Now we need people who can go really really fast. So let's look at race car drivers. And Jeff Goldblum points out that they're comfortable around flames. 
that's true. <laughs> it's true, which is which is mm -hmm. only a plus. They're good at yeah. crashing and they're comfortable with crate planes. We need really um, athletic people who are good on their feet, good on their hands, good on their. Let's go for some acrobats. Yeah, but notice, yeah. Ma, they are all white acrobats. Uh huh. See, uh -huh. so again, you're like, how racist was this country? <laughs> well, yeah. Okay, and then they were saying, you know, we found that it might be better to put a couple into space. <laughs> yeah, put a couple in a capsule where they can't even get move and make them sit there and all they have is each other uh, for a couple hours. Yeah, what uh, could go wrong? What could go wrong? Okay, well then, at this point, we see Eisenhower sit up and well, go, he's we also, want... he was also doing the, the women who they they dive into the small pool. It was all these circus performers and yeah. stuff. And the ones that got shot out of a cannon. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. And so Eisenhower sits up and goes, I want test pilots. And and people tried to dissuade them. They, he said, they said, Ike! Man, test test pilots. Look, they can be real irritating. They think that they're the shit, and they're all this. So the, they're maintenance. so high. They're cocky prima donnas, and Ike's like, yes. Do you know why? Because you would have <laughs> to be a cocky ass motherfucker to say yes. I want to sit on a ship, on a rocket. Basically, I'm sitting on a missile like that guy in Dr. Strangelove. <laughs> exactly. That's, yeah, that guy's going to be, bolts are going to be loose. <clears throat> okay, well, we're back at Poncho's Happy Bottom Riding Club. And there is a gentleman from Washington there scouting for Star Voyagers, Oof. also known as Future Astro. Yeah, but they didn't know astronaut. So the first thing was Star Voyager. Which, uh, and so everybody's going, Jaeger, you know? I mean, come on. Well, Jaeger didn't fit the profile. He's only the best pilot that ever were. Yeah, he but only broke he, the sound barrier. What was, what was wrong with him? He didn't go to college. Ah, so see again, and, in how racist is America? That's not boding well. And he's too independent. You know those cocky pilots. Um, and somebody said we want the best pilots we can get, but Jaeger was was never an astronaut. But I think he turned in the movie. I don't know. But in the movie, he does, they go to him and they ask him and he turns them down. And I don't know if he turns them down because they were going to turn him down. And so he already knew that. So that's why he turned them down. And it's a weird power move. Again, he's a pilot. Who knows? But he said that that he was a pilot and all they wanted was, um, I forget what he says, but the, it was sounding like they weren't going to be doing a lot of piloting. They were just going to get in there, sit in there, ride up, right. and then come back down. Right. And he right. was like, no, I'm a pilot. I'll, I need to have control. I want to be able to fly. Right. Well, then we meet a Marine major 
John Glenn, played by Ed Harris. He is, he's, he's looking good. He's on a TV show where a game show uh, with a little kid, and he's just so charming. Every every movie I've seen him in, he's just been the most charming man. Well, he, if he's supposed to. Yeah. Well, the next scene we see planes landing on aircraft carriers, and that's when we meet Alan Shepard. Mm-hmm. And then uh, everybody's moved to Albuquerque, New Jersey. Oh, because Albuquerque, New Jersey? New Mexico. Oh. <laughs> uh, huh. Oh. I, I apologize. <laughs> Albuquerque, New Jersey. Wow, that was just that was just Pavlov there. <laughs> New something. New and Mexico. That's where all the testing is going to take place for the astronauts. All, they put them through so much. This has been an hour, but there is still over two hours left to watch in the movie. I got to say, people, I thoroughly enjoyed this movie. I did break it up into three viewings, though. Not because I, I I wanted to, I just had to for time reasons. I did too. I broke it up into three just because of appointments mm-hmm. in between, but uh, it worked out well that way. Okay, so um, I I did ask your poppy for a little bit of clarification. Oh, nice. I, I wanted to know, were they interested in breaking the sound barrier to, as a prelude to space travel and he said at that time they were breaking it for fighter jets they were doing it for military defense and so then it became something they could use with uh, supersonic transport Mm. because at the end of the war the Germans had uh, a jet that could go 500 miles an hour at the end of the war and so um, if you went faster than 700 miles an hour, the range, you had a range stability problem in the whole aircraft. Oh, yeah. And um, so that was 700 miles per hour. And now we have jets that go 2,000 miles per hour. That's fast. And they won't even tell how fast the Blackbird will go that's um, it's still the fastest it's that's what he said he said that that this was also the groundwork for the concorde oh do whatever happened to the concorde it it went out of business i don't i don't know why i remember seeing it we saw it when we um traveled to germany oh yeah i don't maybe i don't know hmm yeah, I don't know. That's a that's a wormhole. I did not go down. You needed more poppy answers. Uh, yeah, and I could just take so many. <laughs> so we are to our POC count, which I thought was going to be Zipola, but actually some POCs popped up. All right. So we have one Latin American, Gonzalez. I re- mentioned the orderly. Because... I remember seeing that on TV, Ed Sullivan, with this Hispanic guy who would wear a... You a, mean a, Bill Dana as Jose Jimenez? Jimenez. Jose Jimenez. Right. Yeah. Um, 
And at the time, oh my God, everybody thought that was the funniest thing ever. Well, not everybody. Not everybody. True. <laughs> because you, uh, your people. Yeah. yeah pretty much. Well, oh, pretty right. much everybody, but uh, probably Latin Americans. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So that guy played um, a nurse, an orderly, who was, uh, Alan Shepard was always imitating Jose Jimenez. And um, that orderly was not very happy about it. Yeah. And there was a, there's a great scene where the orderly kind of gets his revenge. And he doesn't mm -hmm. even do anything rude. It's the best revenge because it's the revenge where Alan Shepard is in a very delicate situation and he needs to get <laughs> somewhere very fast, very quickly. And yep. he looks and it's the, you know, Gonzalez, who was not a fan of his Jose Jimenez impersonation. And then I think he had, I think like there were a bunch of orderlies behind him and Alan Shepard's like, oh... I, oh, oh no, I've made a horrible mistake. <laughs> and he has to apologize and stuff. He has to be like, I'm sorry. I understand. Like, it was, it's funny to me, but I understand how it's not funny to you. Hi, 2019. Yeah. Okay, so that was our first right. person of color. I have a black guy in the crowd during the Mercury 7 press conference. Yes. I have a black a bartender at the Cocoa Beach Bar. Yes. I have a black Marine when Gus Grissom is, like, I think he's come back when he was rescued, yeah. something. And there might have mm -hmm. been a few more in the background. I have four Aboriginals in Australia. There were actually six. I have six Aboriginals in <laughs> Australia. Mm-hmm. I have two plus black cooks and like help people. Yes. Service. Service people. people. So I guess that's, that was all I had. And then there were like in the background of stuff. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, and I was surprised to see Eddie really, because I didn't think well, at that time that was, yeah. Well, excuse me. No. Well, I'll save it for the bad reheatables. Okay. That's fair enough. Okay. Nerd alerts. I am saving mine for reheatables. Oh, okay. I can go with some. Are you ready? I am. Nerd alerts. William Goldman was attached to, to it because... Tom Wolf declined writing a screenplay based on his own book. So William Goldman wrote a draft and he took out Chuck Yeager and he made it way more patriotic because it was during the Iran Contra thing or not uh, the Iran Contra, the Iran hostages. Yeah. Which is that all the same thing? I don't know. But anyways, no. that, that thing. And then, um, bunch of directors dropped out and philip kaufman signed on he didn't like goldman's script he oh because william goldman also took out all of chuck yeager yeah and he just focused on the astronauts and then kaufman came in he was like i don't like this script i don't like all the patriotism and i want chuck yeager back in 
Yeah, he has to be back. Because he was like, Chuck Yeager and the test pilots, that's the root. That's the birthplace of the whole space. Exactly. That's where these guys came from. They were cut from this cloth of being test pilots. Um... Kaufman wanted contortionists to play the press corps, but he ended up casting an improv comedy troupe called Fratelli Bologna. And he also wanted every time you saw them to have this clattering like locusts. And he did that Uh by having a Nikon camera and clicking beetles. Like the beetles from the war movie. Maybe. The clickers from the war movie? I don't know. It just said clicking beetles. I bet it was. Okay. And Chuck Yeager was hired as a technical consultant for the film. Uh-huh. It blended miniature models, full-scale mock-ups, and actual aircraft together into footage. Like pretty, uh-huh. Except for a few scenes. It was pretty good. Yeah, yeah. Um, the Lad Company, which was one of the, the people that produced it, they also did Chariots of Fire, Blade Runner, Body Heat, and Police Academy 1 and 2. But before this movie, this movie bombed at the box office. And their movie before that, Twice Upon a Time, that also bombed. So the it caused the, the lad company to kind of shut down for a little while. Mm-hmm. They lost too much money. And... The X1 call signs in the movie says uh, Whiskey Kilo because it was WK. And that's the NATO alphabet. But the NATO alphabet only came to be in use in 1956. So in 1947, his call sign would have been from the Joint Army-Navy phonetic alphabet, William King. Oh, it was William then instead of Whiskey. Mm-hmm. William and King instead of Kilo. Interesting. And that's interesting. In the scene where John Glenn, he's orbiting space and he says he sees fireflies. Yes. That was tiny flecks of frost being illuminated by the sun. Yes. Because of the because when you went away from the sun, it would go sub freezing. So I guess water would kind of accumulate, and then when he would go back into the sun, it would warm up, and so it was water drops coming off of there. And then I think it was when Alan Shepard was back up, he banged on it, the side, and he saw there was more, and so that's when they realized, they were like, oh, that's what those were. Because when I was watching the movie, I, I thought, those are sparks. Because they're talking the about- aborigines. No, I thought like you oh, were thinking it was all they were artistic. From the solar yeah. panels. Yeah, because remember they were talking about how like the heat yeah. they didn't know about the heat shield and stuff. Yeah. And I was that's why I it got real tense there. Even though I knew what happened, I was still right. like, Oh my gosh, he's sparking. Yeah, and what? they wanted you to think that. And they also like kind of led you to believe that the Aborigines were praying and helping them as well. Oh, I didn't know what what was going on with that. With the sparks going up in the air and such. Oh, okay. Yeah. I I didn't I didn't understand that cuz okay. I was like those aren't the Aboriginal smokes. That's like this is a movie about science. Yeah, and um, so 
maybe that was me just projecting that idea. No, maybe but I'm then the only why are they in the world who ever had that idea? But but it makes did. sense because why would you have it? Yeah. I mean, I'm glad they were in the movie, but I didn't really understand what was going on. So I think it was because it. Okay, so let's let's get um, philosophical. Maybe that's the word. Um, so, okay, so we're, we have this movie all about science, 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 science. But, you know, sometimes uh, there are other things in play. So um, because Dennis Quaid had to go to Australia to be able to communicate with him when uh, people in Houston couldn't. Um, was Houston there yet? Maybe it wasn't. I might be, I might have made that go too fast but anyway um you know like we're not above thinking that sometimes nature is kind of mysterious and magical and maybe they did maybe their prayers did help oh true but the guy says that that guy knew all about the moon and the star so i was like look at young galileo over here yeah see he knows all yeah. about physics and stuff. Yeah, they know things that we don't know. So, yeah. Yeah. True. Okay. Um, so now we're to reheatables, correct? I think I believe so. Okay. Well, I have one, two, three, four bad reheatables. And one good. Oh. Okay. You ready for my bad ones? I'm ready. Okay, well, we already talked about Jose Jimenez. Yes, that was one of mine as well. Yeah, but also when Alan Shepard, because he would do that all the time, and um, at one point he says, I'm a wet back now. Well. All the testing and everything. No, what? he says that. Okay, hold on. Wait, he said that after he got out because he had wet himself. Yeah, yes. he pee he had to go to the bathroom, and that was something but that they hadn't still. thought of. And so then he he was holding it and holding it, and they said, "Okay, now you can go to the bathroom." And so he pees on himself, and he's sitting in it. And so he's like, "I guess I'm a wet back now," which it, it's not great, but it's also like yeah, he has pee. He's sitting in his own pee. So I I'm like, yes, it, it is not good and racist but that was pretty racist it is pretty racist yeah. but he was okay. also sitting in his own pee so i i kind of brought down the level of offensiveness okay if he was not sitting in his if he had not peed on himself and had peed literally on his back i was like yeah he he's in a bad light but it's still racist it's completely racist to say wet back it is. Even when okay. you have pee on your back. Even but I, I did laugh because I was like, he peed on his back. <laughs> okay, well, oh, my thing un, was... Sorry. Because to, cause I had Jose Jimenez as well. And in 1970, Bill Dana, he stopped performing as as he's, he retired and had a fake funeral for Jose Jimenez. Because he was like, mm, this is racist. Yeah. And he's like, I, I get it. He's, yeah. you know, slow uh, Hispanic caricature. I understand. It's not a good look on me. So yeah. he stopped doing it completely. And in 1997, he received an image award 
for from the National Hispanic Media Coalition. Hmm. So they were like, thank you for sort of stop doing yeah. that. That was yes. good on you. Yeah, because he was getting a lot of money to do that. He, he Yeah, he was making, <coughs> like, that was his career. And he just said that he was like, yeah, this isn't good. I Yeah, my hmm. people deserve better. Uh, he wasn't um, Bolivian. Oh, He's really? white. Yeah. <coughs> yeah, okay. he, he wasn't um, like somebody else like doing the of his own people. Mm. He wasn't. He was. <laughs> yeah. He was like, I'm not even Hispanic. Yikes. Mm-hmm. Ooh, that's kind of a brown face thing, though. Yeah, I mean, he he didn't paint his face, but it definitely it has that. Okay. I don't know. Maybe he did. I don't know. I was just I like, this is it. Oh, yeah. this is not aging well. It was problematic. Highly okay. problematic. The fact that there were no people of color or women in advanced sciences positions. Oh, well, even going back like that and also for the Jimenez thing, how many times in all our movies we do POCs and how many times have we ever said like Hispanic or Latin American characters? Like this is probably the one of the most prominent ones we've ever had and yes, it's a caricature. Yes. So that's also an issue if you're making fun of people and they're there's not it's not like there's a but like not that it's ever okay to make fun of people but there's right. not that representation of like balancing it out. That's the only thing that people are seeing representing right. those people. Right. So go ahead. Which is why when Munoz took his revenge, it was all the better. That was pretty sweet. Okay, we didn't see anything about our hidden figures, ladies. Okay. And then I was reading, and it almost it might even I think I even wrote it down in a tasty nugget here. So one of the Mercury 7 astronauts, when they asked if they liked the movie, got really mad. Well, I don't know about really mad, but he he was pretty perturbed that all the engineers were portrayed as German, like bumbling Germans. And he was like, they weren't German. And as we learn in Hidden Figures, they were black women. Mm-hmm. Like, the whole reason that they were able to, John Glenn was even able to go up in orbit was because of a black woman figuring mm-hmm. it out. Without the computers. With, yeah, and so they just had, like, those were the engineers. And Janelle Monet's character, she's the one that's, like, on the heat shield mm-hmm. and figuring that out. So when he comes back in, luckily she figured out those straps and stuff. And that was totally, all those engineers, all that hidden figures, it was those four Germans. Right. I was like, no, whatever. Right. And then the last one was just the fact that the heat shields were an issue for John Glenn, and that's eventually what blew up the Explorer. That was just like a sad, not a bad, but a sad reheatable. Well, I think the... I would think like the heat shield is probably just for first space travel. That's the thing that's going to, that's the thing that's going to go wrong probably the most. Cause it's probably a bitch. Apparently. Yeah. That's, Our statistics pretty much show that at this point. I mean, there's, 
that's why the space travel thing is it is so suspenseful because yes. you're just they're literally that capsule i know i sometimes i'm an idiot and you're here oh these guys they're sitting on a rocket i didn't really realize until last night that capsule is like literally the tip of the rocket right they're That's sitting all, yeah. Yeah. on the tip yeah. of the rocket and it's like that's crazy all that other stuff blows away and that's all they got there's blasting off head first into and then coming down and you're coming down into water it takes all that rocket stuff to get them out of our atmosphere and all they have is that little tiny capsule coming back in the atmosphere and Oh, to jump ahead to the moon landing, because I watched Apollo 11. It is a fantastic documentary. I highly recommend it. Apparently, the National Archives has always been on its thing. And during the Apollo 11 mission, they filmed it in high... Basically, they filmed it in IMAX film before people knew that it was IMAX film. They filmed stuff in large format film. So it looks fantastic oh wow and all the movie is is the whole apollo 11 mission from start to finish with just archival footage and there's no talking heads there's no narrator oh it's just the whole mission and it's fantastic and i and even though i've seen first man and stuff I didn't really realize it. I don't understand. I still don't understand how they did it because I don't understand how they put the rocket. All the stuff flies out. It's it's in a capsule. That capsule comes off in space, turns around, redocks, goes down to the moon, then lifts back up, yeah. rendezvous in space, and comes back down. I how I don't understand how they practice such a thing. Because there, there are all those variables out there with the atmosphere we know nothing about. They know nothing about it. I, I also highly recommend First Man for the sound in that film. It is terrifying because of how like rickety everything is. Because everything was probably very rickety. Exactly. <laughs> and you're, all you're doing is you're literally trusting math. And I don't have a math mind where I feel I like no mathematical part of like, my like yeah, mind. we're gonna be okay. I'm still like I think math is magic because <laughs> that's because me. Because it's like cardboard with tin foil over it. Yeah, we're gonna go up to the moon. We're gonna land. Then we're gonna lift it back off. How do you even know how much power it takes to exactly. lift off of the moon? Exactly. Of and math. how do you know it's not going to sink down inside? That's what those how black you know? women figured out. They fi- Well, that first step, well, that was kind of crazy. Yeah. Because he didn't know. Right? <laughs> no. What am I stepping on? They didn't know if when they landed that module, if it wouldn't just sink all the way inside. Yeah, if it was just made... The moon is made of cheese. Yeah. Yeah, I don't, I just don't get it. And then the, to come back and stuff. And then you have the people who say that it was fake. And I'm like, I'm watching the right stuff. And it was made in 1983. And they couldn't, like, figure out right. how to make the earth in the, they had to hire an avant-garde painter to do it. 
And you're going to tell me that they could figure that shit out in 1969? <laughs> I don't think so. Okay, do you have any bad reheatables? I, my more bad reheatables. Um, I, I was going to say, I, had a, I already mentioned it. Chuck Yeager's wife just always just shows up. She always just sidles up. He's always just standing out in the middle of nowhere. She always just appears. Like saying, I'm bringing sexy back. Yeah. She's just like, Every I'm time. here. It's in my contract. Yeah. Um, I put the original teeth of Sam Shepard and Dennis Quaid in it. Even though Sam Shepard's tooth, it ended up winning me over. But mine didn't need mine. That's all I'm saying. Um, this special effects was for the most part pretty good, except when it was the the capsule shot. I was like, that's not aged well. And then I had I already mentioned it. Uh, Grissom's wife saying the military owes her, and then I felt bad because then I was like, oh. That's right. Yeah. yeah. That's what happened. So I'm sure she took that well. Uh, <laughs> she did. Okay. Well, my positive reheatable, it was um, John Glenn. I loved everything about him. Other, uh, I mean, plus the fact he was from Ohio. Oh, where in Ohio? I don't know where, but he became our state senator. Oh. He actually ran for president. Oh, hmm. I'll I'll talk about that later. I have my good reheatable. Um, I guess besides the whole movie and the whole recreating space race and I I, I don't know, I just like that stuff. Oh, uh, I it was Harry Shear and Jeff Goldblum. Yeah, they their, were a comic relief. Their little comic relief, their little duo. They even did a thing where they got out of the car and they put each other's jackets on. Yeah, as they're talking, they were they were a great duo. I I wouldn't have mind a little spinoff of those two. That could that yeah. should be a Netflix show, a spinoff could, yeah. of those two back in the fifties and sixties with all that was going around, and they could be like Zelig characters going mm-hmm. in and out of things. Yeah, so that was my good reheatable. Okay, well I didn't have an MVP for. Um, almost three hours. I had an MVP. And then I got my MVP. Oh. Having been a military spouse, my MVP are the wives. Oh, that's a good MVP. And I have down here Barbara Hershey's speech about wives getting no training you know, the husbands get all the training, the wives get none, but the yeah. husbands come home to them. And they don't know how to deal with them. And um, when um, Jaeger says he's afraid of his wife and she says, well, you're not, but you ought to be. Yeah. Yeah. And then um, Annie Glenn, uh, and that's part of my John Glenn, because when he went up, um, it well, was out. this part is my MVP, so go ahead. Oh, okay. So, um, he they're in Texas because now everything's going out of Houston, and so uh, Lyndon Johnson, the vice president at the time, is at her house. Well, she had a severe uh, speech impediment, she had a really rough stutter, 
and she didn't like to speak in public and she didn't want to, it wasn't that she was dissing um, the vice president as people might diss the, the current resident of 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue, but it, she just was too shy and too afraid of her own speech impediment to meet with the vice president. And, and uh, Johnson goes crazy. And I finally, don't think that, did she tell, I I didn't think that she like, like she wasn't embarrassed about it, but I don't think it was well known that nobody else knew. That, yeah. I don't think that Johnson knew that she had a speech no. impediment. So he thought that she was just, you know, Shutting dissing him. him. And right. she just, that, that was also a very suspense. That it was the brilliant thing about this movie is that that part was just as suspenseful as John Glenn coming back down to earth. Because you, you didn't know how, the, how that yeah, ended. Yeah, because you knew that she had a speech impediment and she didn't want to be in front of the press and she didn't want to have to talk and how terrifying and stuff that was going to be. And then you, she had all these, you know, all these powerful men and stuff over her telling her that she had to do this and you have to do this. Oh, you, yeah, you have to do this. And then it even got to the point where they called John Glenn. John Glenn, said, who just got rescued from a mission. And said, you have to tell your wife to meet with the vice president. And he said, no, nah, I'm with my wife on this. If well, you don't want to meet with him. It was great because he was like, all right, let me talk to her. And so he's like, she, he talks to her and she, he says, tell me what happened. She says what happens. And he's like, okay, well, and he's, he's great because he's leading you up. You think like, oh, man, he's going to tell her that she has to do it and stuff and to play by the rules. Because, you know, John Glenn is, er, they make him out to be Mr. What is it? Like Mr. Dudley Do-Right. Yeah, goody two-shoes. Yeah. And so he's like, she's like, all right, I want you to listen to me. I want you to listen like real good. Like, I don't want you to do anything that you don't want to do. If you don't want to talk to the president, then you don't have to talk to the president. And she's so relieved. And I'm like, John Glenn, you're my MVP. Yeah, that's and right. then the guy comes over and... He well, Kathy Baker was already my MVP when she was like keeping the press away, like no, she doesn't want to talk. So I was like, Kathy Baker, you my MVP. And then John Glenn comes in, and I was like, you my MVP. And then I was like, M Mrs. John Glenn, I'm sorry, that's horrible. You're my MVP. And then the guy comes over and he says, John Glenn, you need to tell your wife that that's the president of the United States. You need to talk to him. And she, he's like, I'm not gonna do that. He says, if you don't do that then I'm going to redo the, the flight order because that was big with the pilots. Oh, yeah. You know, you're going up first, second, third, fourth. You're going up next. And then the pilots come around him, and they're like, who are you going to get to take his place? Because yeah. he thought for sure the pilots were going to be like, all right, I'll go. Sucks to be you. And they were yeah. like, nope. Yeah. And I said to Poppy today, in this day and age, oh, somebody that wouldn't have worked. Yeah, somebody would have been like, sucks to be you. I'm yeah. going up there. I'm not giving away my shot. So that was, that was the wives were my MVP. And that moment when all the, um, the pilots gathered around and said, who are you going to get? That was your MVP. That, the whole, that whole scene. My, yeah. the, the Kathy Baker blocking, saying no. The wife not being like, I don't want to do it. 
John Glenn being like standing by his wife and being like, yeah, "Yeah, then fuck them. I don't care. Whatever. I'm riding with you. And then all the pilots being like, yeah, who are you going to get? Yeah. I was like, man, MVPs. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. Okay. You didn't do a recasting. Am I correct with that? I didn't because it took me so long to do everything else. Okay, well, I did too. At first, I just did uh, regular recasting because it is recasting people who actually lived. Yes. But then I went, well, wait a minute. If it's Hamilton. That was Hamilton. A Hamilton cast. So I have two. Okay. Would you like me to go with the white or the black? Let's go with the white first. Okay. As per usual. (laughs) Okay. That's right. (laughs) Get out of my way. Okay, so my Sam Shepard, what was interesting was there was uh, there was a Sam Shepard playing somebody. There was an Alan Shepard who was a real person. Mm-hmm. There was a John Glenn who was a real person and a Scott Glenn who was playing somebody. Yeah. With the, okay, so my Alan Shepard is Edward Norton. Okay, I see that. My... Cooper, Gordo Cooper, you know, the smart-ass one, he cheated a lot. My, uh, Bradley Cooper. Mm-hmm. Because he thought he was the best at everything. My um, John Glenn, Mr. Goody Two-Shoes, Mr. Does Everything Right, I had Matt Damon. Ah. Mm-hmm. And my Jaeger, I had Christian Bale. Oh, interesting. That's a good cast. Now, my my cast of color, my Hamilton cast, mm-hmm. uh, Alan Shepard, I had Omar Epps. Had to be somebody with a lot of cockiness and a lot of assuredness. Mm-hmm. Okay. My uh, Gordo Cooper, I had Jamie Foxx because he's very showy. Oh, that's a good one. My John Glenn, I had Tay Diggs. Oh, nice. Yeah, I thought so. And uh, I had a really hard time with Chuck Yeager I, because it has to be someone who is. Um, I have uh, a Chuck Yeager just off other, the dome. Other people are going to look up to like respect. So I had Chadwick Boseman. That's a good one. Off the dome, first thing I thought of was Sterling K. Brown. Yes. Yeah. Somebody everybody can trust. And somebody who looks good as they stare off with their arms crossed. Yeah. Like, ah, he's thinking something. Yeah. Now, in real life, the, um, the astronauts couldn't be taller than 5'11". Because they wouldn't have fit in the capsule. <gasps> wow. So they're like jockeys. Yeah. I remember Chuck Yeager was really short. And really? I'm a short person. And then I didn't even think about it at the time. Yeah. Wow. But he wasn't an astronaut. But I did notice that. Huh. Okay. Trivia. Tasty nuggets? Yes. That's what I call it. Oh, Okay. Tasty Nuggets, um, the Florence Poncho Barnes, who had that bar, mm-hmm. you said um, that she had broken one of Amelia Earhart's records. Something like that. She got her pilot, 
pilot's license in 1928. Jeez. Uh-huh. She was a stunt pilot on the Hell's Angels film we did in 1930. Oh, wow. Uh-huh. And I don't know what that means. We Before Mercury 7 were 10. So I don't know what that means. Before they were 10 years old? Like yes. she did all that stuff before they were 10 years old? I speak ma! Yes. Yes. Okay. So the costume designers for the film, for some of the, for their, um, when they went into space, their, mm-hmm. what are those called? Spacesuits. Spacesuits. <laughs> they got the material from old stuff from Cher, the Sonny and Cher show. <laughs> All the silver stuff? That's yes. where they got it from? Yes. That's hilarious. I know. I think it is, too. Um, Sam Shepard was afraid of flying. But he still let Chuck Yeager take him up in a flight. Yeah. That's committing to your craft. It is. Well, okay, to bring this all around, the reason that he was scared of flying is because when he was on a set of another movie... The airliner he was in crashed. So, unlike. Oh, he learned his lesson. Exactly. <laughs> unlike okay. your girl who was like, nah, I'm, I'm ready. So, the real name of the Happy Bottom Riding Club was Poncho's Flying Inn. And it burned down in 1952, but not without controversy. Oh, people suspected Poncho? No, people suspected arson because they uh, wanted to make her airfield bigger. And um, the the club was right in the way, so they think that it was burned down so that, um, I guess, whatever county or whatever she was in in California, they had petitioned her to um, oh, have it demolished. And we, she was no, no, no. It, and she's like, no. And they're like, ah. Yeah, and then mm-hmm. it got burned down, and the county was like, "Sorry, eminent domain," yeah, or something. Pretty much. Wow. And the sad part of that was at the beginning of the movie, you saw her putting a picture up on the wall. It was the picture of the pilot who died. And so, to have your picture up on that wall, it meant that you had died flying your aircraft, mm-hmm. working on your 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 craft of being in a pilot. Mm-hmm. In 1984, John Glenn was running for president, and uh, he lost the nomination, and at that point, Mondale was our nominee. For the Democratic? He was going to go against Reagan? Wow. Yeah. What a great could have been. And he was a Democrat in Ohio, which is a, Ohio is so Republican. But I remember that actually right before, maybe not right before, but sometime before that, he was our state senator and he fell down in the bathtub and hit his head really hard. And my dad only said it's because he went up into space and it scrambled his brains. But, it, you know, it could have had something to do with your equilibrium. It could have. Oh, I thought he was like that he his he went up in space his brains were scrambled and he came back down he hit his head and unscrambled his brains unscrambled his brains to become a democrat maybe yeah um 
Yeah, I was going to say that, too, that they had to go through, like, CTE. You're not going to tell me that sitting right. on top of a rocket being right. launched into space isn't going to be bad on the old brain. That it's just, may, may I remind you that the brain just merely floats in our cranium. Right. And there, I mean, really, it did look like spit and vinegar keeping those things together. And the amount of um, shock and, and jostling and that they, that their whole bodies went through. Well, just in they, the testing, when they were, had them on the testing yeah. thing, I was, said, that guy has a concussion now. He needs to be in concussion protocol. Right. And they would, I mean, they thought they were burning up at, at that one period of reentry. Oh, it, yeah. They would hot. pass out because they were on fire, practically. <laughs> yeah. Man. I mean, they would see the other people just burn up and just go back out there the next day. That's what happened. It. That's what happened to John Grish, John Grissom, Gus Grissom, and those three dudes. Yeah. In yeah. The, the Apollo before Apollo Eleven was it like Apollo something? Yeah. They were. It wasn't. It was a. They were just merely testing, and mm-hmm. then their inside. Ex- caught on fire and they asphyxiated and then the engineers are like okay what do we learn from this let's have nothing flammable in the cockpit that's a good idea good idea also did we not think of that here's before. another good idea how about the door open outward so <laughs> that um if something happens it's going out and not going in because if the pressure is equal you're not going to be able to get that door in Exactly. And they're like, okay, outward door. Got it, got it. <sighs> Something yeah, those you... three had to die, but look at all we learned. Yeah. And then every time Jaeger was going up in up in his um, plane, he would ask his technician, his engineer, his... His um, guy. His guy his Friday. Guy, Do you have any Beeman's? Beeman's gum. And he would give him a piece every time. Evidently, Beeman's was the lucky gum of pilots. Mm. Yeah, I did. I wonder if um, my grandpa chewed Beeman's. No, he chewed Juicy Fruit. I checked on that. Oh, he was a Juicy Fruit man. He I was a Juicy I Fruit. Juicy Fruit. I'm not a big gum person. I am not a gum person. Mm-mm. Don't get me started. It's a whole session with a therapist. <laughs> Um, as of March of 2019, Chuck Yeager and Annie Glenn were the only two still alive. I know. I was still. like, Chuck Yeager. Chuck Yeager is still alive? Yeah, yeah. Sam Shepard yeah. isn't even alive. And I think Chuck Yeager is still full of piss and vinegar. I think he'd have to be. Look at him. He's like, he he just came over to me and spit in my face and said, your grandpa lied to you. I'm a bold pilot and I'm an old pilot. <laughs> Only one who could say it. I'm like, damn it, Chuck Yeager. And um, this film failed to make back its budget. So it was um, a Ooh. box office flop. Bombed. Now, one rabbit hole I did go down because I remember it was Cape Canaveral, Florida. Mm-hmm. where they launched the spaceships, all of the Mercury ones. And then Kennedy was killed, and it was renamed Cape Kennedy. And then, it, it, I'm, I'm 
going around in the 80s and 90s hearing about Cape Canaveral and it's the Kennedy Space Center. So I'm going, when did it go back to Cape Canaveral? In 1973. When they built the Space Center? I guess. That was just really odd. I thought it was perfect that it was Cape Kennedy, but somebody in Florida petitioned. They wanted it back to Cape Canaveral. So it is the Kennedy Space Center at Cape Cape Canaveral, Canaveral, right? Yeah. Well, it is Florida. <laughs> okay, well, that is my that is my trivia. I thought it was fascinating. I have more. I know you do. Are you ready? Go. Oh, I'm sorry. Entertain me. Scott Glenn was, uh, he did three years in the Marines, and he was going to be an art- author, but he couldn't write dialogue, so to get... The ear for dialogue, he started taking acting classes. Which one was he? Scott Glenn was Alan Shepard. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. And the shooting took place from March through October 1982. Um, the interior studio stuff, that was in San Francisco, and they shot at Edwards Air Force Base. I think they did a few things in California. So that was the Mojave Desert. Yes, because they okay. couldn't recreate that. No. no. Um, stuntman Joseph Sveck, he was a former Green Beret. He died when his parachute failed to open during when Chuck Yeager takes that fancy airplane out. Which mm-hmm. also, by the way, in the movie, they make the him breaking the sound barrier and when he takes up the fancy airplane, like it was just spur-of-the-minute decisions but uh-huh. those were they were planned out. He wasn't like that much of a cowboy. Cuz I thought he would get in real trouble for blowing up that really expensive airplane. But by then he was Chuck Yeager. Well, he was. Oh, it's kind of like, yeah, I broke the sound barrier, guys. Piss and vinegar, people. Piss oh, and vinegar. but yeah, that scene where he parachutes out, stunt guy died doing that. <gasps> oh, that's awful. Yeah. His parachute failed to open, like I said. See, there's nothing funny about people dying. Unbelievable. <laughs> that poor, poor woman. Um, on December 1982, 8,000 feet of film um, having to do with John Glenn and his re-entry was stolen from the editing <gasps> facility and it was never returned. Oh my God. And they just had to kind of like recreate, like, you know, st- the show oh. must go on. Yeah, because I remember watching it on TV. Anytime that they did something at school, well, we no, would this watch was it. the movie. Oh, I'm oh talking about that's... the real, <laughs> the real thing. Yeah. Um, I already said how the Mercury engineers were not German. Um, the real Chuck Yeager has a cameo in the film. Mm-hmm. He's Frank in the bar. He is. It was nominated for Sam Shepard was nominated for Best Supporting Actor, Best Art Direction, Best Set Decoration, Best Cinematography, and Best Picture. And it won for Best Sound Effects Editing, Best Film Editing, Best Original Score, and Best Sound. What won that year? I didn't look that up. Oh, what year was it? 1983. Okay. So. Maybe Amadeus. Um. Scott Glenn, so all the other astronauts, ex- 
except for I guess you know obviously Gus the guy Fred Ward playing <coughs> Gus Grissom the ones who could meet their astronauts met them they all wanted to meet them except for Scott Glenn he wanted to get his performance based on observation and Chuck Yeager gave them all a huge video library to study from and so he just wanted um stories of people who knew him and observation to get him down and to get Alan Shepard down. And then when Alan Shepard saw the film, he said that the performance was spot on, but Scott Glenn was not nearly good looking enough. Yeah. And his wife. So she kind of, there was always rumors of him cheating and then the movie comes out in the book, but she never said anything about it or apparently confronted him. And then he he died. And then not long after that, she died. And she died at the exact time that he, of day that he would always call her. She died wow. of a heart attack. Oh, I was like, wow, huh? Who who looked at the who's looking at the clock? Oh, okay, okay. So I have um, 1983 was Gandhi. 1980, so it would have been 1983, right? Yeah. So Gandhi. Oh, Gandhi. Oh. Mm-hmm. I've never seen Gandhi. I saw it. He was amazing. Now I'm going to put it on my list because you know how I feel about the biopic. Uh, yeah, it's a good one. Well, from what I remember back, that was a long time ago. You were two, three. Yeah, I was three. three. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. There you have it. Okay. Well, um, it was long, um, but it was worth it. And yeah, we we each broke it up into three intervals just because life happens. Mm-hmm. But um, I thought the people who played the astronauts were, they weren't like, I feel like if it were made today, it would be super patriotic. Oh, yeah. You know, like it would be dripping. When they bleed, it would come out red, white, and blue with stars and shit. But... um. I thought, you know, because it showed that these guys were, well, first of all, okay, Poppy is Army. We had a little bit of dealing with Air Force. And Air Force pilots, um, uh, on a whole, as um, not all of them, but uh, have an inflated ego, which you have to have to do your job. So then you tenfold that to an astronaut, the very first astronaut. I mean, you're the best of the best. You're the best of the best. You've been told you're the best of the best. And you have to believe you're the best of the best to have gotten there. So it it showed them in human form. I liked how the wives supported each other and rallied around each other and helped each other. Um. Uh, yeah, it was it was good. I thought mm-hmm. it was good. Are you interested in next week's choice? I'm waiting. Do I get to guess? You do. Okay. I felt it was time for a little levity. 
Oh, okay. A little levity. So Bring humor. some comedy into this joint. I mean, wait, we brought the comedy today. I mean, we did. It's unfortunate, but we did. <laughs> we are known to laugh at inappropriate <laughs> things, and and let that we know. Yeah. So that's you know. what you get when you invite us to a party. You don't have to Twitter us or email us nasty, nasty grapes. So we're bring, we're doing a full-on comedy, an early 50s comedy. An early 1950s comedy. So it's it going to make our tummies hurt. Probably. But the good <laughs> news is it's one hour and 31 minutes long. Jackpot. Or early 50s comedy. Mm-hmm. Is it well known? It's pretty well known. Fif- pillow talk? You know, we're going to have to do it sometime. <laughs> I did I, love me some pillow talk. I never have seen it, but I was just thinking of 50s oh comedy. Oh, my God. I had such a crush on Rock Hudson. Oh. Well, you That's, and a lot of people. It explains a lot. Okay. Uh, Rotten Tomatoes gave it a 98%. <laughs> I'll give you the year in 1953. 19, you are one years old. I didn't think they had they had humor in 1953. <laughs> as soon as I was born, <laughs> you had to start laughing. Oh, 1953, 98%. We have done a film with the major actress. The major before. actress. Is it Roman Holiday? It is not. That was like in the 60s, maybe. But we've Have done we it done with... Audrey Hepburn? We... Oh, mm-hmm. Tiffany's. Yeah, yeah, Breakfast at Tiffany's. It's in the problematic scene Hall of Fame. Yes, it is. Oh. Um... Yes. Okay, I'm just going to go and tell you. Okay. Gentlemen prefer blondes. Ah, nice. 1953, Marilyn Monroe. Marilyn Monroe and some other people I don't really know very well. So, you know, yeah. that's funny because if it had been my turn, I was going to do the Misfits and Marilyn Monroe is in that. Yes, she was. That was her last film. Yeah. It was also, wait, James Dean was in that? No, I think James Dean was in Giant. Giant, you're right. Misfits, wasn't that Clark Gable? Yeah, it was his last film too. Yeah. Alrighty then. All right. All right. Well, that's where we're going. We're gentlemen going with prefer gentlemen blondes. prefer blondes. Nice. So there you have it. There you have it. There you go. And there you go. <laughs> One of these days. <laughs> okay, listeners, thanks for listening. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.